Amen. Y'all, come on. Let's give the Lord a big round of applause. He's great. He's worthy to be praised. Amen. Well, greet your neighbors. Say, I am so blessed I get to sit next to you. Good morning, Cowboy Junction Church. It is great to be with you today. Uh, this is home. This is family. And uh, it's exciting to be here. Pastor Ty and Heather are awesome. Hey, did y'all know Heather had a birthday? She turned 25. So y'all make sure and tell her happy birthday and uh, celebrate her when she gets back. They are enjoying some time celebrating her birthday and having some family time together. So that's awesome. And, uh, and I get to be here with you. So that's exciting too. So uh, we're just going to dive right into the word today. And uh, we're going we're gonna to pray one more time. I want you to be expectant uh, every time that we come into the presence of God, whether it's in a building together corporately or in our home with just him, God can do something in your life if we surrender to it. And as we prepare our hearts to receive from him, I want you to remember you're not receiving from a man, you're receiving from the spirit of God. And it's the spirit of God that will take the word of God and show you exactly how you're supposed to understand it and apply it to your life. And so I just want you to be expectant. And as we get expectant, would you pray with me as we get ready to dive into the word of God today? Lord, I need you. There is nothing about me that will change anyone's life. It is simply the word of God and the presence of God and the spirit of God. It is your power at work in us that changes lives. So, Lord, we pray today that you would anoint my mouth to speak your word with clarity and authority that would come only from you. And, Lord, anything that's of me, would you strike it? Would you take it away and let it only be your words? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to go to verse 36, and we're going to read to about verse 50. And uh, so we're going to get a little Bible reading done today, and uh, then we're going to break it down, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. So let's go to verse 36, and it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this, this is who, was, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this text, and we're going to get there. God put it on my heart today to talk to you about worship. And so if you're taking notes, the title of my message today is called The Fragrance of Worship. Now, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about how our life produces a fragrance. Our life produces a fragrance unto God. And and, and we really want to unpack that. But in order to unpack this scripture, I really feel like we have to define what is worship. What is worship? Uh, How many of you like music? Anybody in the room like music? I love some music. Uh, Do I have any playlist people? Like you make a playlist for every season of your life. You know, like you, if, you, if you wake up and you're feeling like a little bit moody, you got that playlist with all those minor chords, you know, that they just, it just feels right, you know. Or, or maybe if you're feeling real pep, you got your workout, uh, you got your workout playlist. I don't have one of those because I don't work out. But um, you, have your, you have your playlist, right? And so you got this music, and music moves us. And oftentimes when we think about worship, our first thought is about what? Singing. That's our first thought. When I think about worship, I think, oh man, it's what we do on a Sunday morning with a bunch of people where we sing some songs and I hope they turn the music up loud enough so that people don't hear my voice. You know, because you're like, I wouldn't want anyone to hear that I'm singing off key. Well, I just want to just release you for a moment. The Bible does not say make a good noise. It says make a joyful noise. So you can sing, and it may not be good to the person next to you, but it is pleasing to the Lord. Amen? So, so just to set some people free, if you feel like you can't sing on key, it's all right. It's okay. And then, you know, uh, we think, okay, this, this is worship. And when, when we study scripture and, and we're uh, getting ready to prepare for sermons, there's this thing called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention says if you really want to understand and know what a word means in the Bible, you need to go back to the very first time it was ever mentioned in the Bible so you can get the context of that. So because what's going to happen is that context is going to set the context for the rest of the time that it's mentioned or used in the Bible, that phrase. And so the very first time that the word worship is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 22, verse 5. Now, we're not going to go there. But it says this. Now, you stay here. This is Abraham talking to his servants. He says, you stay here with the donkeys. Me and the boy will go over yonder and worship. Now, if you wondered whether or not Abraham was cowboy, now you know because he said yonder. That was a terrible joke, y'all. I'm sorry. So in this context of Scripture, the very first time you ever see the word worship, it is in the context of God telling Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac. Now, this isn't a text that gets preached a whole lot because it's kind of morbid. Right? So let me just be honest with you. If I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard the Lord say, 
go sacrifice Micah, <laughs> the very first thing I'm going to think is, get behind me, Satan, not yes, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, I had some really bad pizza last night. I know Micah didn't pick his socks up, but it's not that bad. And, and, and so, but what's so interesting to me is that in this context, God knew, Abraham knew the voice of God so well that he could not argue with the fact that it was God. And I wonder if sometimes we don't question the voice of God because we don't like what the voice of God is saying to us. So we say, we don't know if it's God or not. I have to pray about it. But in this context, he knew this was God. So he gets up, he grabs a bunch of wood, he grabs Isaac, he grabs a couple servants, a couple donkeys, and they take off. And he's going to go to the mountain of the Lord and he's going to sacrifice Isaac. Now we all know how the story ends just so that we can get that out there. Isaac is saved. There's a ram that comes and, and is stuck and, and they sacrifice to the Lord and, and we know that God is the Lord who provides and all these things. But that word worship there... In Genesis 22, 5, it means to bow down. That's what the word worship means. It means to make yourself low. Now, in the context of the culture, if you were to bow, what are you saying? You are higher than me. You have more authority than I do. I am showing that I am submitted to you. This is the context of the word worship. The very first time you ever see it in the Bible. It's Abraham saying, the boy and I will go and bow to the Lord. In Romans chapter 12 verse 1, it says this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So now we're looking at New Testament. We're seeing Paul is talking here to the Romans and he's saying, because of the mercy of God, I'm asking you, would you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God? Now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because typically a sacrifice doesn't live. <laughs> right it dies so how can I be a living sacrifice now now check this out this word I, I looked it up in the dictionary I'm not this smart I had to look it up uh, the, the word sacrifice includes in its definition surrendering a possession as an offering to God or to a divine or supernatural figure so this is what the word surrender means. To live as a living sacrifice, I'm going to surrender the possession of control as my acceptable, holy act of worship to God. That's what it means to worship. So when I look at worship in its context, worship has more to do with surrender than it does singing. So if I want to know what fragrance does my life produce that could be worship and a fragrant smell to, to God, here's what it is. The fragrance of worship is surrender. 
What aroma pleases the Lord? Surrender. And to live as a living sacrifice means, God, today I get up and I choose to offer you the control of my life, to bow down and say, you are elevated above me, and therefore I will put my selfish desires and what I want behind so that you can go ahead and I will follow you as you lead me. That's what it means to worship. And if we're going to look at worship, we have to work from this understanding. And I want you to know that every time you choose to surrender to God, that fragrance fills heaven. And it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. So, now that we're working from the same understanding of what worship is, Let's go back to the text. So this is what happens. Jesus gets invited to a Pharisee's house to lunch, maybe dinner. How many of you like to get invited to dinner? It depends on who's inviting you. <laughs> so he gets invited to dinner. And, and, and he comes and he said, now, when it says he was reclining at the table, you have to understand that the way that they ate, the table was low to the ground, and they would relax, and they would have pillows, and they would be reclining, they'd be leaning back. So Jesus was leaning back at the table. And the text says this, now, a certain woman who was a sinner. Now, how would you like to have that title? You know, like, that's it. she doesn't even get a name. She gets a woman in the city with a reputation for being bad. She was a sinner. Now, just so that we're all on the same playing field, every single one of us hold that title. Woman or man, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are. God, because we were born into sin, that's why we need Jesus. We were redeemed by the curse. We were redeemed by God from the curse of sin, brought into righteousness. So we all hold this title, right? So she, she's got this title of being a sinner. And so just to bring it back into perspective here for you, the fact that she interrupted a dinner with men in that time, that by itself, whether she was of high rapport or a sinner like she was, would not have gone over good. She wasn't invited there. She did not have permission to be there. But it says when she found out, when she heard that Jesus was reclining at the table, she said, I've got to go. And I wonder how many of us in this room are here today and you know your reputation. You know your life decisions. You know where you've been. And maybe you came here with, I heard that Jesus was in the house reclining at the table. And I know that I don't belong here, but I have to get into the presence of God. I came to tell you that Jesus came for you today. And he came to set you free. And he came to tell you that you're worthy because he paid the price for you. And he wants to know you. This is God. This is God. And so she comes in, and then she makes a big ruckus. You know, she starts crying. <laughs> Probably wasn't like that. And she takes this alabaster jar of oil, 
which most people believe represented one year's worth of wages. And she breaks it. And she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. And she begins to wipe in this oil. Now, can you imagine in this moment the smell that filled the room? And you have this fragrance that begins to fill the room. Isn't it interesting that one of the most talked about acts of worship in the Bible has nothing to do with singing? This is talked about over and over and over as this act of worship. And she didn't utter one melody except that she did with her whole life. It was a sweet fragrance a beautiful sound unto God. So she pours it all out, and she's worshiping Jesus. And you know what's going on? While she's worshiping Jesus, she's being judged. There's some of us in this room who hold back our worship because we're afraid of the judgment that will come because people know where we've been. But I'm telling you today, if you understand what he did for you, you wouldn't care about the judgment that comes from someone who did nothing for you. See, this is what happens. Simon, which by the way, in other texts we find out that Simon was once a leper. Which means he too knew what it was like to be an outcast. Because he would have been considered unclean. So he has already been outside. And isn't it interesting when you've been outside and you've been pushed and then you get healing and you've been forgiven that you can come into a context of worship and totally forget what God's done for you and judge people. That's a different message. So Simon begins to talk to himself. And he's like, man, if Jesus knew who this was, he'd be worried. Ooh, you gross. You nasty. Why are you touching me? So here's the deal. The extravagance, see, the extravagance of our worship is proportionate to our understanding of what has been forgiven. Simon judged her and probably thought... What a waste of this expensive oil, especially coming from you. Let's go to our text, and let's just look at this for a second. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so he's thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So just real quick, um, Simon is thinking to himself. Keep that in mind. And Jesus answering said to him. I love that. Jesus answered what he was thinking. Do you feel like, uh, uh, pardon me while I say this, Pastor Ty, I hope you forgive me. Do you think that Simon went, oh, crap. <laughs> when he figured out that Jesus knew what he was thinking. Because you know what he was doing? He was questioning and invited Jesus into his house to try and figure out if he was really who he said he was. And he was leery 
like, this guy can't be anything, but he's a big to-do, so I'm going to invite the big to-do over to my house so I can maybe have some status, but I don't really believe. So, uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Now, I want to point a couple of things out about Jesus' story about the two who owed money. Neither one of them could pay the debt. One owed 50, one owed 500. Neither one of them could pay it back. But you know what? When you're talking about the woman, because this is a parable, and in the parable, what is Jesus doing? He is literally pulling the woman in who has many sins and the Pharisee who has plenty of sins, but he doesn't recognize that he has sins. He doesn't see it. And so he thinks that he doesn't have very much to be forgiven because I'm a Pharisee. I keep the law. I have status. I do this. But this woman, she is a woman of the street. She doesn't have status. She has a reputation for being something evil and awful. And yet, neither one of them could pay their debt. So whether you're religious or you're not, you both are in debt. And only he can pay it. But one just kind of felt like it was insignificant. Well, I just couldn't pay back $50. Not 500 But you know the way credit works, it doesn't matter if it's 50 or 500 it's still negligent. <laughs> so... She worshipped from a place of recognition of what he had done for her, what would be forgiven of her, and her mindset changed from this cost is too great, one year's worth of wages? How could, I mean, most of us in this room are like, I couldn't give God one year worth of wages. We wouldn't say that out loud. We'd be like, amen, pastor, yes. But deep down in our hearts, we'd be like, sheesh. You know, like in our minds, we're looking at the context of this extravagant worship, but you don't worship extra extravagantly or give things that cost so much if you don't understand what has been forgiven. But when you understand, your mindset shifts from this costs too much to this isn't enough, but it's all I have. And you begin to pour what you have at the feet of Jesus saying, God, I will give you everything. I will surrender it all because context of worship is surrender. I'm going to give it all to you no matter what it costs me because you already gave me everything. And her mindset shifts. And she didn't care because she knew who she was worshiping. Her attention wasn't on the people in the room. It was on the one. There used to be this old school song, uh, Audience of One. 
I don't even remember how it goes. I just remember that was the name. Like, it's so old school. I was like three when it came out, you know, because I'm very young. And, uh, <laughs> and so she focused on the one thing that mattered. And I wonder if maybe there's places in our life where who we're with is robbing us from who we're supposed to be looking at. And maybe if we would get our eyes off of those who are around us and get them back on the one, we wouldn't care what it cost. We wouldn't care what they say. We wouldn't care if they don't believe it really happened. Because you know that happens. You know, if you have a past, you know, and you did some bad stuff, People are like, you didn't really change. I know you're the same. You're just not posting it on Instagram anymore. <laughs> you know? And people, like, they tend to judge you because they're like, there's no way. And yet, you're like, I don't really care if you think I've changed or not. I have. <laughs> and I'm different. I'm a follower. And eventually, the fruit of your life will prove the critic's wrong. But if you waste your gift of surrender to the Father on trying to silence the critics in your life, you'll be worshiping the critics instead of worshiping the Father. Let's keep going. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Our worship hosts the presence of God. So in this context, our surrender hosts the presence of God. This man... It was customary when you came into somebody's house that you would have water by the door so they could wash their feet because y'all know those streets are nasty. They don't have no indoor plumbing. I'm so glad we live in the time we live in. Amen. <laughs> right? Now, what's interesting about this is, look, look at this connection here. The lowest servant in the house was the one responsible for washing the feet because it was the worst job. And everybody said amen. Feet are weird. That was the lowest position in the house. Like you could not get any lower than the person who had to wash the feet of Jesus. And this man didn't even respect, I'm sorry, of 
whoever came in. And this man didn't even honor Jesus enough to host his presence, to offer him water, to offer him something to clean his feet or to anoint his head with oil. He was so not sure about who he was. And this is the thing. You can invite God in and still not be surrendered. You can invite him to dinner and still be standoffish to the one you're inviting in. But your surrender hosts him. And it changes him. And it changes you. And so there's like this moment where I have to recognize and ask, am I willing to host the presence of God through the act of surrender to him? Now, when you realize that this person who is the lowest of the low servant, was supposed to wash the feet, then you also recognize that the woman took the lowest place. She didn't anoint the head of Jesus. She didn't assume that she had what it took to honor the head, but she went to the lowest place of humility, and she said, I'm going to wash your feet because I am nothing without you, and so I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm going to take a position of humility. And then when you see that Jesus in John chapter 13 later takes off his outer garment and he gets down on his hands and feet and he takes the position of the lowest servant to wash the feet of his disciples. And then what does he say? You go and do the same. So when I surrender to God in worship, it produces a humility in me to walk in the humility of my Father. Well, I can be confident, but I'm humble. And I can serve people, and it'll be my service to people that breaks down their walls and brings them into surrender to the Father. Not my arrogance or my judgmental glances of who they are outside of this place. Simply. My humility and my surrender. <laughs> we love worship. I love to sing. You know? I sing everywhere I go. I love it. But can I tell you something? A melody without a life surrendered is just singing, not worship. A melody without surrendering your life to him is just singing. It's not worship. So I could come into this place, you know, how great is our God. Mm. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. And I can sing that, and I could be like, what I really should sing is, how great is Jeff. <laughs> because I'm not living a life that is surrendered, and so it's just a melody that sounds good to the people around me, but it doesn't do anything for the Father. Does that mean you have to be perfect? No, that's the law. <laughs> no, no, no. No, what it means is that he who knew no sin was made to be sin. 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when I fall short, I can get on my knees and say, God, I messed up again, but I'm coming to you, and I'm laying it down at your feet, and your grace is going to pick me up, and I'm going to keep chasing after you, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to sing how great my God is, but I'm going to do what it takes to confront the sin in me, and I'm going to throw off the sin that easily ensnares because you paid the price for me. See, worship takes us from it being about me to it being about him. I, I, I saw this thing as I was getting ready for, uh, for, uh, for the sermon. And I, and I was praying. And I saw, I, I saw all these wounds, open wounds. And they were just bleeding. And I was like, what the? This is weird. And then I saw like this really nice button-up shirt. And it was like buttoned up, not like mine. You know, it was actually buttoned up. And I just saw these open wounds bleeding through the shirt. And I was like, God, like, what does that mean? What, what is that? And it was like he was saying, there's people who think that because they're optimistic, I've bled. My life's been bad, but instead of acknowledging that I need Jesus, I just get optimistic that I can change it. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it through this. We're going to be all right. We're going to get on the other side of it. And the problem with shiny optimism that isn't dependent upon Jesus is it makes it dependent upon you and what you can do. But God is not asking you not to acknowledge what you're going through. See, that's, there's a lot of times where people will tell you, faith means I call that which is not as though it was. Yes, that's what that means. But that does not mean you don't look at your situation and go, God, I am broken. I am bleeding. I don't know what to do. But you, oh God. I'm not going to stop there. I'm not going to stop at the fact that I'm broken and bleeding and messed up and I need Jesus. I'm going to continue to glorify him. And so now my faith becomes a place of surrender. And I wonder if your optimism and its shininess is actually keeping you from true surrender, which is keeping you from true healing. Because I'm going to be all right. Everything will be okay. We'll make it through. Or here's a good one. You tell people, and they're like, man, you're really going through it right now. And you're like, yeah, it is what it is. I'll be all right. You know, all that is is walls to keep him out, to keep people out. And so I just want to encourage you today that when you understand what true worship is, You realize, just like the woman, I don't have to come to him with my fixed reputation. I can come to him being a sinner. I can come to him being uh, the person that everybody knows. I've done this and I've done that. But I can come to him in surrender and he'll accept my worship. And he'll forgive me of my sins. And he'll turn me around. 
and he'll set me, my feet upon the rock and he'll pull me up out of the miry clay and he'll tell me that I've made you a new creation and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that there is hope for you today. So if surrender is the fragrance of worship, what fragrance is my life producing? Is my life producing a fragrance that says, God, I'm yours. Even when it's hard, I'm yours. I heard a pastor talk about worship. And uh, he said this, he said, uh, he said, you know what the awesome thing about heaven is? There'll be no pain. There'll be no suffering. All our tears are going to be wiped away. That's exciting. No pain. Woo! He said, but you know what the awesome thing about earth is? It is the only place where you can worship in spite of your pain and with pain. You'll never be able to give God a worship in the middle of your sorrow in heaven. Because there is no sorrow. But we can live a life surrendered to God that says even in the middle of the worst thing I could think of, I am going to worship you by surrendering my life. And though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That is a fragrance to the Lord that blesses him. Holy Spirit's in this place. Would you just bow your heads with me? We're done. We're going to go into a time of worship here in just a moment. But I want to ask you, maybe you're in this place, and you've been inviting Jesus in, and it's been a religion, not a relationship. Because you, you, you added Jesus to your life, you didn't surrender your life to Jesus. I'm not saying you don't believe in him. You're just not allowing Jesus to be more than a savior because Jesus is so much more than a savior. He is Lord, and that's what he wants. He wants lordship of your life. So if you're in this place today and you go, you know what? I really need to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm talking about I believe in him. I, I, I know that he is the risen son of God. I, I know that, but I need to start living with him as Lord. And I'm choosing today to say, God, I'm no longer in control of my life. I'm going to surrender and follow you. I'm laying down my life in an act of worship that says you can have the sacrifice of my control and I'll follow you all the days of my life. If that's you, would you just get your hand up in this room? You say, you know, I need to surrender. See that hand? See that hand. See that hand. Come on. All over this place. See those hands. See that hand. 
see that hand. You can put your hands down. If you're in this place and you're like, man, you know what spoke to me was the part about pain. I'm in the middle of the hardest season of my life, and it's been robbing my worship. And today I'm going to choose to pour it out no matter what I feel like because he's worthy of it. If you're going through something, lots of pain, one, we want to pray with you. But we want to we see who you are. If you're here and you say, you know what, that's me, and I've let the pain steal my worship. But today I'm changing that. I'm going to worship and give him my surrender through what I'm going through. If that's you, would you just get your hand up? Is there anybody in the room that says that's me? See that hand. See that hand. See that hand. See your hand. See it. Yeah. Lord, right now, you can put your hands down. Lord, right now, for every person who said, Lord, I believe in you. I know you're the risen son of God, but I haven't been living with you as the Lord of my life. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would give them everything that they need to surrender fully to you. Lord, that they would know that your word literally tells us that we have everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray that they would get up every day and decide, I'm going to surrender to you, die to my flesh, surrender to you, die to my flesh. And that in that, that is an aroma that is pleasing to you, oh God. I pray that they would have what they need and what it takes because they do and for every person who's in this room who says I've let the pain rob me of my worship God I pray that as they let go of their worship and decide today I'm going to surrender even if it feels bad even if I don't understand what you're doing even if I feel like I'm being uh, tormented by what you're allowing me to walk through I will trust you and I will follow you even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy you anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever let it encourage you encourage them father now in the name of Jesus And everybody said, amen. We're going to worship. The worship team is going to lead us. And as we sing a melody, I want you to remember that worship is so much more than a melody. But it's never less than a melody. Sing unto the Lord with all that you have. Surrender to him, knowing that he is for you and not against you. If you made a decision today and you say, you know what, I, I, I need Jesus. We would love to talk with you. We'll be out right there by the Jesus sign. We would love to tell you what it takes to follow Jesus. It's so simple. You just come to him and surrender your life. Y'all stand up with us as we worship the Lord today.